If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn with me over to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Acts. That's where it's located. Get that out of the way there. And uh, as we look this morning at God's Word, I'll be talking about that. We've been, this is the third week in a series on the book of Acts, talking about the first five chapters. The series title is called Unstoppable, about how in our lives when uh, when God is working in the way God wants to work through us, uh, the church is an unstoppable force in our culture. But so often we don't experience that way. We talked last week a little bit about how so often what happens is, is that when we think of the word church in our mind, we don't think of unstoppable. We think of anything but that. We think of all kinds of things about church based on where we grew up, what kind of environment we were in, what kind of church we were in around, uh, those type of things. Now today what we're going to do is look at a very short verse of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which is kind of a snapshot of the early church. It's a place that a lot of folks like to go to when they want to say, hey man, this is the way the church should be. This is the way the church really should look like. This is the place, if you want to have a short picture, a little small snapshot of what the church looks like, this is probably the place to begin. But you've got to understand why it was the way it was. It wasn't because these people had more going for them than anybody else. It wasn't any reason for that. It's the same thing we talked about the last couple of weeks uh, as we began this process and talking about Acts 1-8. It said what? It said in Acts 1-8 that when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will empower the people of God to be what? Witnesses. He's going to give you the power, the ability to be the witnesses He wants you to be to empower your life in a way that you've never been empowered before. Uh, to be this unstoppable force uh, in, in nature. And, and what, God, what God did, we began to look at last week in Acts chapter 2. It, it actually happened, the very first verse. Pentecost comes, and we see uh, at that event on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. He enla- enables some of the disciples or the disciples that were there to speak in languages they had never spoken before. And then he empowers Peter to be a witness, a verbal witness, in a way that, uh, that was very powerful. And it says at the end of that passage we read last week that about 3,000 people that day uh, made, their, made a commitment to Christ. The Holy Spirit came into their life and began to fill our life. And then we began to see through the remainder of the book of Acts uh, the picture of the church being lived out, empowered by God's Spirit. So often, and I'll just be honest this morning, we were talking about this. Randy Schertz and I, Randy came in, one of our leadership team members comes in each week and we pray before the service. And, and, and we were talking about this whole thing of the Holy Spirit that so often, based on where you grew up, you either talked about the Holy Spirit a whole lot or you didn't talk about Him at all. And I grew up in a Baptist church and we really didn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, if you came and grew up in certain churches, you probably didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. It's like we're afraid of the Holy Spirit or something like that. Like it's going to do something strange in our life because sometimes we, we see things that are really not really biblically that we see about the Holy Spirit that are, cause us to push away. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit's not just a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, the Bible says. He is God who lives in us. Instead of Jesus who walked with you, uh, when you know during the days in the New Testament, Jesus says, "When I leave this earth, when I, I'm going to leave you something here, it's going to be the Holy Spirit who's going to live in you. It's like a person living in you. It's God living in you to empower you to do things and to live life in a way that you've never lived life before." And so we've been talking about that's what happens. That's what makes the church unstoppable, not because we have great programs or cool music or, you know, or a nice building or we do all kind of, you know, things to, to reach out to people. I mean, people, churches do all kind of crazy things sometimes that are just totally unbiblical. I read recently about a church, I'm not going to say where, 
um, a church that, that decided they were going to uh, they were going to increase their revenue. And so how they were going to do this is they decided they were going to have what they called uh, 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 offering lotto weeks. Now, you know, sometimes I'm wondering where people are thinking when they do this. But what they did is that the pastor would get up. He said every once in a while they'd get up and what they would do, the pastor would announce, okay, this morning it's offering lotto week. What we're going to do is that we want you all just to give as much as you can this morning. And then at the, at, we're going to draw one one uh, check or one uh, offering envelope out of the offering plate. And if you're that person, you will get back ten times what you put in. I'm going like, well, it might, might be a cool way to raise money, but it's totally unbiblical in regard to the whole thing. I'm going, oh, I just cringed when I heard that. You know, that's not what God wants us. That's not the unstoppable church that God's talking about, okay? Uh, that's not what he's talking about. He, the thing is here, is, and I could tell you all kinds of stories that I've read of stupid things that churches do in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, this morning, what we want to do, we want to make sure that we're the most biblical-based church possible, Right? That's our deal here at Great Oaks. Not to be the coolest, not to be the biggest, not whatever. The church that really follows God's Word. So this morning we want to look at God's Word. And if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I love this passage of Scripture because it is so simple. I'm going to give you an outline that is so simple about these just these few verses. It's basically this. The outline for these few verses this morning is this. What we do, what God does... And then what happens? What we do, what God does, and what happens. And I want to talk about that. That's the breakdown this morning. Because if we do what we were supposed to do, and God will do what he is already willing to do, and then some amazing things will happen. That's what this passage is all about. So let's look at it this morning. In Scripture in Acts chapter 2, now on your outlines, if you have the bulletin outline, you have the NIV translation. On the screen, you have a different translation. I want to let you know that's on purpose this morning. I did not mess up. Because sometimes we, sometimes we get in one translation or another, and there's a lot of good translations of scripture. NIV is a good one. New American Standard is the one that's going to be on the screen this morning. Uh, New Living Translation, there's a lot of good English translations and other translations of scripture. But, uh, this morning sometimes I'll pick out ones that'll help you to understand things in a different way. They're slightly different interpretations of the Greek language that this is what this was written in originally. So let's talk about this. Verse, uh, the first part, what we do. Verse 42. It says they were continually, this is the people in this early church, all these believers who had accepted Christ, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, the the first word that jumps out in there is it says this, they were devoted, they devoted themselves. This word devoted is used ten times in the New Testament. It, It means to stand by in readiness. It means this, uh, con- they continued steadfastly. They were ready to go. You know, like uh, a few weeks from now when we have this uh, 5K run uh, and we get ready, it's like, what time is it supposed to start, Chris? 7.30? 7.30. It's 7.30. There's going to be a lot of people, hopefully, ready to go. They're standing by in readiness, ready to run 5K. Now, some of us will walk 5K, but, you know, we'll be ready to go. And as you're ready to go, you know, the thing is, is you're standing by, you're, you've, you've already done, you've done what you need to do to get ready to go. And that's what this, the, this word is here that says they were devoted to, these people were ready to go, they were devoted to um, certain things. And there's three things in here it says that they were devoted to. And that's the things that, that in, in a sense, that um, as we look at this together, what we do. The first thing is, 
is this. We must be devoted to God's Word. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, I could go into a long study and tell you why the apostles' teaching was God's Word, Scripture, but to give time this morning, just take my word for it. This was Scripture. They, they, they taught the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament. They were actually writers. These guys were the writers, many of them of the New Testament. And they also experienced Jesus Christ, the Gospel. So they had all of the Bible basically at their disposal. And that's what the, the apostles were teaching. Uh, and, and in a sense, too, it's uh, in the, the, at the end of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, in verse uh, chapter 28 of, of Matthew, he tells them this, he says, in verse 20, uh, 28, verses 19 and 20, which is called what? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's called the great... Great what? Commission. Thank you. I mean, some of you don't know. That's fine. But, I mean, some of us do know that. It's, it's a key verse that we look at many times. And, and one of the parts of that commission, it says this, to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them to obey. One of the things that we must do, if we're to be the church that God wants us to be, if we're to be and the church is people, okay? It's not a building. It's not any of these things. This is just a building here. This is, not, this is just a, a building where Great Oaks Church meets. That's all this is, Okay? The church is people. And if we're to be the people that God wants us to be, and, and we're to see God do great things in our community, in our life, in our world, and, and to really live the life that God wants us to live, the first thing we must do, it says here, is be devoted to God's Word. And the, the question is, are we devoted to God's Word? Um, and let me share with you what it means to be personally devoted to God's Word. It, there's, a, there's a word we use all the time now in the computer world. It's called download. You know what download is? Yeah, you know, it's when you take something, you download it into, the, into your hard drive, or you put it on your, uh, somewhere on your computer. You download it. You, it's, it goes into the, into the computer and actually it, 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 it interacts with it in some way. If we're devoted to God's Word, we have to download God's Word into our lives. We have to allow it to become a part of who we are. And the only way we can do that is what? We must study God's Word. We must read God's Word. We must look at what it has to say because if we're devoted to it, if we're going to be staying in readiness and we're devoted to God's Word, we must uh, have it downloaded into our life. Another thing, and I try to find some really cool words that make sense and they're all D's or something, so just kind of, just kind of lame. So anyway, just realize that, it's me. Um, the second thing is, if we're devoted to God's Word, we're not only downloading into our life, but we're displeased when we hear God's Word distorted. It, it means we're not casual about God's Word. We live in a world where people constantly take God's Word out of context. And use it for all kinds of things that is not, that are not biblical. When we hear that, we must be displeased. If, does it displease you when you hear somebody say something about God and His Word and, and, and it's not true? And you know it's not true because you know enough of God's Word to understand the truth. See, when we are devoted to God's Word, we have downloaded it into our life. It affects our life in a real way and we're displeased when we hear it. it it's, we don't take it casually. A third thing that should happen if we're devoted to God's Word is we're disturbed when God's Word is diluted. That's the other D. That's the only thing I can think of this morning. We're disturbed when God's Word is diluted. Uh, you know, because so often in life I hear this, even among Christians. Well, I really like that scripture. Does that mean you don't like the other parts? You know, for some people, scripture is like a buffet. You go into it and you're looking like, man, I like that right there. But, oh, that's nasty, you know? And, you know, you just take partake of it. The, the reality, folks, is this, is this is all of God's Word. And we're supposed to not only be devoted to, like, the parts we like, 
like the parts about love and God's grace, but the parts that we sometimes struggle with, uh, the parts we need to grow in. And so when we're devoted to God's Word, the thing that one of the things we have to do is we must be disturbed when God's Word is diluted in other people's lives and in our life as well. And must be disturbed enough to say, God, I want you to open my life and my mind into my heart into what it is your Word is saying to me personally. I believe this fall, I will tell you, tell you this with all of our, my heart, that when we go through Financial Peace University, some of you will be disturbed because you're not following the principles that God has laid out for us in regard to finances. And I hope you're disturbed. But I hope you're disturbed in a way that will make you make some changes in your life. I mean, even even though I've taught and counseled people for years in regard to finances, there's a couple of small adjustments in my life that I had to make when I went through it recently. I'm going like, I'm not fully living the way that, you know, God really wants me to in regard to my finances. Yeah, I'm giving some things. I'm doing some things. I'm, I've always been somebody who's done this. But God wants me to, to, to live financially free, to not have the, the, the burden uh, that sometimes finances can have on your life. And so am I devoted to God's Word? That's the first thing we see here, the first thing they were devoted to. The second thing they were devoted to, though, it says here in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 42, is they were devoted to fellowship. It says they were devoted to fellowship. Now, when you hear the word fellowship, what do you think about what do you think about Kool-Aid at a fellowship hall at a church? Maybe you grew up like me in a Baptist church. We had a, we had a building. It was a two-story building. And downstairs under the big big room like this, there was what we call the fellowship hall. Any of you grew up in a church like that? Okay, yeah. And, you know, why, you know, and we, so we get this idea that fellowship hall is this place you go to and you eat meals together with. And that's fellowship. Well, I hate to tell you that. That is not fellowship. That's just getting together. I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, you know. sometimes it says they were devoted to one another. That's what fellowship is, devoted to one another. It was more than just having coffee together. It was more than just hanging out together and watching a Cubs game or a Cardinals game or a, or a Bears game. I don't know why anybody would want to do any of those things. But, it, you know, I know that. I just dissed all of you just now because I'm not from this area originally, you know, and I'll, I've been an Atlanta Brave fan for a few years and not really stuff. But I, some of you are a Cubs fan or Cardinals fan. And, like, you live in the same community, and I don't get it. Nobody's a Chicago White Sox fan. I don't understand that here at all. Maybe three people, maybe, you know, in the world. But uh, but that's kind of the deal. That's the deal here. Uh, but they says we're devoted to fellowship. It's it's more than just hanging out and doing stuff together. That's, that's what it says they were devoted to this. Uh, we need to understand something about fellowship. You can't force fellowship. Listen to me again. You can't force fellowship. Meaning that you can't manufacture fellowship. Because fellowship, real fellowship in a biblical perspective, is the byproduct of something. It's the byproduct of something. And I started to understand how important this is. This, it's, it's really interesting this weekend, uh, Chris, this, this uh, most extreme, and it's called Team Challenge, right? Not Teen. Team Challenge. It's about teams. It's about manufacturing fellowship. <laughs> But it's a beginning point. It's a beginning point. Because I thought about this in the context of what Scripture is. Because let me give you a definition, a definition of fellowship. Fellowship is a relationship between individuals through active participation in a common mission. That's a basic. But it doesn't happen on a weekend, okay? It can be skin in a weekend, but it doesn't happen in a weekend. It's a relationship between individuals through active participation in a common mission. The thing is this, as you look at what fellowship is, it's a bondedness where people are devoted to one another. 
And they have the deepest level of communication, uh, of relationship going on. Oh, there's three levels of communication. You know that, don't you? At least three. The first level is surface communication. You know what surface communication is? We can have that with anybody. It's talking about like a, a how about them bears, man? Or, uh, you know, you know, the weather. Let's talk about the weather for a while. Or, or, or things like, um, what are some other surface communication? Uh, did you hear about that sale at Target yesterday? You know, or how much rain they had in Chicago? Seven inches in three hours. Can you believe that? That's true. Uh, yesterday. You know, and that's, that's surface communication. Who can you talk with about those things? Anybody. Surface communication takes place with anybody and everybody. And we do that all the time, surface communication. And that's the, 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 the lowest level of communication. The next level is what I call personal communication. Personal communication is where we talk about our life, our, our family, our, our burdens even sometimes. We talk about the things that trouble us sometimes. But it's still not the deepest level of communication. Uh, the, you know, the surface level and the personal level are not the deepest levels. The level that really fellowship is at is the, called the intimate level of communication. Intimacy is where we talk about our hearts, our aspirations, our feelings, our fears, our failures. And that doesn't happen with too many people, does it? Not unless you're dysfunctional. And the issue is, is that you and I need to understand that God wants us to, to operate into an intimate level with a small group of people. He wants us to, to have this intimate relationship. And guess what? Fellowship happens when it's a relationship between individuals through active participation in a common mission. That's why soldiers in a, in a, in a group and on a battlefield will bond together and have lifelong commitment to each other. Because this active participation in a common mission. It's why people who are on, you know, teams that are working together towards something and they work together and they work together and they work together. I know my, my daughter, she's back, back here to back this morning. And I remember back when she was in high school, she was in this insane high school band. Uh, this, this, I call it insane because it spent more time practicing than the high school football team, which won five state championships while we were there, uh, did. I mean, that's how good the football team. The band practiced more than the football team. Guess what? They were good. But the other thing is, they were tight. They, they were together. I mean, they, they built these friendships, and, and pretty much all their friendships came out of this group. This closeness, this intimacy. It's when you have this individual. You know, so, so in a real sense, if you want fellowship, somebody, sometimes people say, we need more fellowship, Pastor. We need more community. Well, let me tell you how to get that. Begin to serve together with others in a common cause. A cause related, and being through the church, related around who Jesus Christ is. People, it's amazing when people have a common passion about some need in the community or some place that they need to minister to and they bond together, they begin to do that, they build the, the, the level of fellowship, of intimacy that needs to be there. And that's what it's talking about here. Not only are people devoted to God's Word, but people are devoted to fellowship, real, lasting fellowship. And the thing is, is that let me tell you two things that will happen or won't happen if, we, if we're not careful. The thing is, is that the things that cause us not to have this level of intimate communication in our life, let me just, just tell you, guys, we're worse at this than women, okay? Let's just be honest. Well, guys, be honest this morning. Would you raise your hand if you're saved? That if you all agree with me, women, you can even raise your hand about this one. If you agree with me that men are, have a, bit, a harder time of being intimate with someone else than women do, anybody agree with me about that? Okay, guys, if you don't raise your hand, you're, you're, you, don't, you, don't, you missed all the studies in the world. Okay? Women understand. But let me tell you, women, 
It's because of a couple of things that happen in your life that need to happen in God's lives as well. Two things that will cause us to have to, to break the barrier of having this intimate kind of communication. The first is this, confidentiality. Confidentiality. If somebody doesn't fear that you're going to post it on the Internet, let me tell you, we live in an era when we, have, we put, put way too much stuff out there. Number one, stuff that nobody cares about. I don't care what you ate for dinner. And I don't care, you know, where you're at. What store you went to today? You know, I mean, I, I, I posted one time in the last... I have a Facebook account. I've posted one time in the last four months. Somebody came to me and said, you know what I posted? I went to Canada on a fishing trip and I posted some pictures on there. Hey, I went to Canada on a fishing trip. Here's some pictures. Everybody keeps asking me about it. So here, they are. Leave me alone. <laughs> no, that's not the way I thought. But anyway... But anyway, so often people will post everything. And, you know, if somebody knows, if you have somebody, a relationship with somebody, and you have confidence that when you tell them something, it's not going to be posted out there or spoken to about for anybody else, that's the first way that you begin to build this intimate communication in their life. Secondly, though, not only confidentiality, but mutuality. 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 I'm not even sure that's a word. I think it is. But mutuality is a word that means not only do you share, but they share too. If you, you know, if it's, if it's, confidentiality is great if you're a counselor, but it's going to be one way. You come into my office, you sit down, you tell me stuff. I'm not going to tell you a whole lot of stuff about me because that's not the purpose of why you come in. You come in to share. But when you're building a relationship with somebody, if it's always one way and one person's always sharing and the other person's not, eventually it'll, that'll close the door of intimacy. You have to open the door in your life too. And you have to be able to share in the same level that the other person's sharing with. And so the thing is, is that we have to have that. See, fellowship happens at level three. The fellowship happens at the third level of communication, this intimate communication level. And great things happen when people are devoted to one another. And terrible things happen when people are not. I mean, if a friend of yours is being attacked and you sit by silently, that is evil. Not just bad, it's evil. See, you need to step up and say, and say to the persons that are attacking your friend, you're not attacking my friend, you're attacking us. That's where real close fellowship intimacy happens. It's, it's not about me, it's about we. We're going to talk about this some more in a couple of weeks. That's one of the keys of the early church. That's one of the keys that God wants us to understand. It's not about me, it's we. See, the early church had this devotion to one another. And we need to be devoted to one another as well. Let's go back and look at that verse again. It says this in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And then it says this, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What does it mean to be devoted to the breaking of bread and to prayer? It's kind of a strange thing. The other two were fairly simple to understand. This third one's a little more complex, but it's not really that hard. Basically, it means this. These people were uh, devoted to God's presence in their life. These are two things that, that, that... that was symbols of God's presence. See, the early churches, they met together for meals. They would usually end their meal, and they met house to house. As they met together uh, with this meal, they would end their meal, in a sense, with the Lord's Supper. And what is the Lord's Supper? What is one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper? So that we can remember what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. It was, it was, a, it was a asking God, you know, I want to understand your presence and understand that you have your presence in my life. 
It was understanding that we're having fellowship with Jesus. And, you know, and, there's, and through the church ages, there's been all kind of debate about what the Lord's Supper means. You know, some, some groups call it, they have this thing called transubstantiation. Everybody ever heard that word before? Transubstantiation means that when you partake of the Lord's Supper, that literally becomes the bread and body of Jesus Christ. And, and, then, and then some other groups have a thing called consubstantiation. I'm giving you a church history lesson here. Consubstantiation basically means it mystically becomes, the, not really becomes, but it mystically becomes, but we as a church believe that the Lord's Supper is simply a symbolic meal. Uh, that it was, we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. It just symbolically, it's, it's part of who, you know, it's, the juice is, is symbolically Jesus' blood and the bread is symbolically Jesus' uh, body. And we talk about it that way. But the, the thing that's lost in the conversation about all these and we all agree upon is about the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. And see, that's what this is all about. When they're saying here in Scripture that they, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, it's talking about just eating together. It's talking about this whole thing of, of sharing together and of the regular reminder in their life of the presence of God in their life, of Jesus being in their life, that they invited Him in on a regular basis in their life. It wasn't just a Sunday morning thing. It was a regular occurrence. And then it says, and it says to prayer, um, actually, in the NIV and in ASB, they both get it wrong. They don't translate it right. Because it doesn't say to prayer. It says to prayers. Plural. And, and one of the things sometimes when we... And you're going like, well, that's just a letter. It's not a big deal. Well, yes and no. Uh, in the evangelical church, we're big on spontaneous praying, right? We're not really big on, on, on praying specific prayers at different times of the day. The early church, though, one of the things they were very committed to was at specific times of the day, morning, noon, and evening, they would pray very specific prayers. Back a few months ago when we did the whole thing, and I, I took you and one of the resources that I made available to you was a thing uh, called the Daily Office. And the daily office was a thing where you had specific prayers and specific scripture that you would read during the day. I don't know about you, but let me say, say this. When I am spontaneous in prayers, uh, sometimes I, my prayers, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks too, uh, my prayers aren't really that deep. You know, I mean, there's kind of like surface prayers when I'm always spontaneous. Very rarely, you know, and maybe it's because I'm not deep. Maybe it's you're deeper, and so that's the issue. But the issue is, is that when I begin to read prayers of others, and one of my practices that I do in my own daily life, and I don't do it every day, but I do it many times, at least once or twice a week, is I read a thing called devotional classics. It's it's devotional prayers and thoughts of dead people. I'm not... Not that they're just dead, but they're old. They've been around for a long time. And the thing is, is when I read that, it makes me think about things that I normally don't think about. Because it directs me uh, to that. So I think we could lose sight. And, and what it's talking about here is this early church had these things, these regular patterns of celebrating together uh, the Lord's Supper for the, for the purpose of re- understanding God's presence and and also of, of this regular, of being very devoted to prayers, regular consistent prayers in their life which reminded them and invited God's presence into their life. Let me ask you a question. Okay? Let me ask you a question. How often during the day do you think of God? Spontaneously. A lot? A little? I mean, how often do you think of anything if it's just spontaneous? 
Now, I'll answer all that. But the thing is, is the thing is we have to understand is that unless we consistently plan into our life these periods of thinking about God, sometimes we don't think about God. We get busy. We get hectic. And I've had several people that told me that the daily office was one of the best disciplines they had ever done in their life because it made them at least twice a day sit down and think about God and His presence in their life. And that's what the early church was devoted to. They were devoted to this whole thing of being, uh, realizing that God's presence was in their life. So that's what we do. The second thing is this, and this is not as long. What does God do? What God does when we do that? Verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, see, when God's, God is honored and we're devoted to God, we're devoted to God's presence, Jesus' presence in our life, we're devoted to His Word, we're devoted to each other, some things begin to happen in our life. And the first thing it says here that happens is that there's a sense of awe. God's presence was felt in, a, in, a, in an incredible way in their life. And secondly, uh, God began to meet the needs of people when we begin to read this. Now, when we see this, we see this and we get kind of like, this can be a place where we get kind of whacked out here because it says, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And I was almost hesitant to even approach this and I'm going like, no, let's go for it. Um, the issue is so, t- so often in the life of the church, I've heard people say, well, you know, what old signs and wonders happen today the same way? Well, understand this. In the, in the New Testament, there was the apostolic gift of healing. And we see that very plain in the, in the early church. Uh, there was this ability to heal on demand. It says that when the apostles, the apostles would heal, they said sometimes even as they passed and the shadow would pass on, would go through other, or pass on people, they would be healed. And that doesn't, nobody, uh, we don't see that today. But it's not the same, and there are still, I still believe in healing today. I'll talk about that more in a little minute. But it's not the same as with healing we see over in 1 Corinthians. Or the, what I call the New Testament standard I see in James chapter 5. The apostolic gift of healing was at a very unique time of history. Uh, and the problem if we try to replicate the gospel, the, 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 the apostles experience, if you take what happened to the apostles, which was done for a specific reason at a specific time in history, because guess what the Bible says? It says they were foundational to the church. It means that they laid the, they laid the foundation. It doesn't mean we're supposed to replicate that. They laid the foundation. If, if we take that and, and we take what happened to the apostles and make it normative for the church, you get all kind of bizarre nonsense that happens in our world today. I'll just be honest with you. And the, the problem is that sometimes that devastates people because they'll, they'll sell everything they have. They'll fly across the country and go to some place and walk on some stage and expect somebody to lay their hand on them and heal them because they, they think that everybody, that still happens today in exactly the same way. Healing still happens, but not in the same way. And, and they believe, and then when it doesn't happen, it's not that they turn against the, faith, the fake faith, faith healer. What they do is they turn against God. And people do that continuously in our world today. And so the thing is, the greatest tragedy is that. But by the way, I do believe that God heals people. But James 5 is the model for healing the New Testament. And I believe that there are people who have the gift to pray for others who, who, who pray. But the, the thing is, is that when they pray the prayer of faith for someone else, it says in Scripture, what happens is, is they don't know for certain that that's going to happen. It's God, as they pray the prayer for faith, it's God that decides and God that chooses how that's going to be, how they're going to respond to that prayer. And I've, and I've seen people healed, yes. But I've seen people prayed for that weren't healed. 
I mean, even in Scripture, one of the, one of the uh, Paul himself, who's the, the person who's in the second half of Acts, which we're not even going to get to in this series, in the second half of Acts, Paul himself had a problem. And he had a physical problem called a thorn in the flesh. And it says he was never able to be rid of that thorn, that problem he had in his life. But the thing is here, that the, per, the point here is not to get hung up on what happened then. It's about this, is that when we do what we do, what God calls us to do, to be devoted to God's Word, be devoted to each other, to one another, and be devoted to the presence of Christ in our life, what happens is God shows up in amazing ways, and He begins the process of working in our life, and He meets the needs that we have. Because as we go through the book of Acts, you will see less and less of the apostolic gift of healing, because by Acts chapter 15, it's almost disappeared. Completely. And so this, this morning I say to you, you know, that's, that's something that happens. God shows up in the presence of His people when they follow the things that we're supposed to do. We're devoted to those things. More than just peripherally, it's, it's devoted to that. God, God binds us together. Verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had things and had all things in common. You know, the, this is amazing here because when you read this, uh, it was a different mindset. I said, you know, the thing we're going to talk about later, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time with this today, is this. It's not about me. It's about we. They had this mentality here. It says that when they did these things, God began to show up, meet their needs, and those who believed were together and had all things in common. What does that mean? Togetherness means that they, they didn't... Hold them. They didn't have. They weren't about rights. We live in a society where it's all about my rights. They didn't think they had rights. They they kind of said, "Hey, it's it's about us." And then in verse forty-five, it says they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They didn't even believe their possessions were theirs. You know, like somebody said, told me one time when I read when I was reading that verse when we was doing a study, they said that sounds like communism. No, it doesn't. You know why? Because in communism, sharing everything is forced. This was not coerced. This was simply something that came out of their life as they committed themselves. They were devoted to God. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the presence of God in their life. What happened was they began to realize that they held everything they had with an open hand. Everything they had was held with an open hand. And so they began to do this. No possessions. People were doing, doing it willingly. And we'll find out in Scripture in Acts chapter 5 when we get there that some people didn't do it willingly. But they acted like they did, and so there's some stuff that happened to them. We'll find that out later. You know, so this mindset, what happens in people's life, what God does, He begins to do, because this is the only, God begins to do this. Only God could change our minds in such a way that we, we don't think about ourselves first. Would you agree with that? I think... I, I just got to be honest. Left to our own devices, left to our own patterns, we will think about us, me first. But God can change us, and that's what He did in the early church. You know, I work on about that a lot of times, just living life with an open hand. And it's, it's tough, but God works through this, and He allows His Spirit to work in our life. In Luke twelve fifteen, you know, the thing is, is I found, and I'm going to look at Luke twelve fifteen just a second. I could walk around the rows of this church, and, and not that I'm going to do that. Okay, don't freak out. Not going to do this. But if I could walk down the rows and ask your net worth, and then ask how happy you are, I would find no correlation between how much you have and how happy you are. 
I can guarantee you that. Because in God's Word it says in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. See, God wants us, and this is what the early church thought, if God had given you a lot, trust Him with it. Steward it. Let, him, let God manage it. And if God hasn't given you a lot, don't think that your happiness is going to be found in having. See, this early church, these people in the early church, once they did what they were to do, God began to work in their life in such a way that they understood they had no rights, no possessions, and because of that, they had no needs. Now, it sounds like almost like a perfect world, right? It's, it's, a, it's a place where God wants us to be. And it's not. Imp- some of us think it's impossible. It is if we do it in our power. But remember what powers this church. It's not, I'm sorry, me and Chris and Dan and Nate and the leadership team, if you depend upon us to get all this done, it's not going to happen. Because we don't have the ability to make that. I can't change your mind. I can't change even, some days I can't even change my own mind. But the Holy Spirit can. And He can empower us to be what God wants us to be and to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. The last couple of verses uh, say this. What happens? What happens? Okay, if we do what we're to do, God does what he said he's already willing to do because we've done what we're going to do, then what happens? The last two verses. Day by day, continuing with one mind in in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. House to house. Let me tell you something. Small groups are not a fad. Sometimes people go like, oh, you know, we, uh, I grew up with Sunday school. Well, Sunday school is kind of a small group. But we chose early on at Great Oaks to do what we, we thought was a way of getting people together. Small groups. In the early church, they met what? How? House to house. Kind of sounds like a small group, doesn't it? Because that is where intimacy... Intimacy is not going to take place in the big room, sitting in rows. Fellowship is not going to take place here. Man, you can drink coffee all you want to here, stand here and talk about the weather, but the issue is is you're not going to become to the deeper level of talking and sharing and living life together if that's all there is. God wants us to understand this early church, what happens in the early, is that people began to realize they needed one another. They, they weren't by themselves. They, they met and broke bread from house to house. And they did it in two ways, it says. They did it with gladness and sincerity of heart. What in the world does that mean? The word gladness there, some of your translations may say joy. They did it with joy. Uh, you know what the, the Greek word there means? Extreme joy to the place of jumping. It's kind of a weird word. But I mean, I've seen some of you have that kind of joy. Very rarely at church. I've seen you at football games. I've seen you, you know, when something exciting happens, you know, you're going, ah! you know, you're going like crazy, you know, you're going like nuts. And I'm going like, why do we have that kind of joy at some place like something like that that really, I'm sorry, really doesn't mean anything in the long run. And then we were in God's presence. We don't have the joy we, that he wants us to have. That's what it says. They, when they met together, when God worked, when they were devoted to these things, and then God began to work in their life, what happened was they met with gladness. They had this extreme joy. It's a, a definition of that is a supernatural delight in the person and purposes and people of God. 
That's what extreme joy is. And it said they also had in your, it says sincerity of heart. Some of your translations may say with a generous heart. Basically, you know, the, neither one of those words are really the, the, the most correct Greek word there because the most correct Greek word is really hard to figure out unless you describe it because just one word. But the Greek word there should be with sincerity of heart is, is the word really, the, the word is smoothness. Smoothness. Now, what does that say to you? You want like smoothness of heart? What does that mean? It's kind of like this. When you use the, fur, the phrase in the zone, what does that mean? Anybody know what that means? This is talk back time, okay? What does it mean to be in the zone? If you don't talk back to me, we're not leaving. Okay. Smoothness in the zone. When you're in the zone, what's happening? From a, from a sports standpoint, and you're in the zone. I mean, you're at the maximum peak of your, of your potential. You're doing the very best you can. Everything's working together. When a team, when Washington football or Metamora football is in the zone, it means that they're playing the best they can play. All the parts are working together. Do you understand that concept? That's what the picture is here. It says that when the people, you know, this, all these things were happening and they met together and they had these meals together and they were sharing their life together. They did it with gladness, with this exuberance, and they had this smoothness. This, all the things were working together. They were in the zone. In verse 47 it says they were praising God. They had this, this, this joy. They expressed. Not only did they have it inside, but they expressed the joy. I mean, sometimes, I, it makes, I know Nate gets frustrated sometimes because, because he loved to see you guys more excited about praising God. But truthfully, God, Nate can't manufacture that either. Only the Holy Spirit can manufacture that in your life. True? Yeah. And then the last part says this, and when it, what, else, what else happens? And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Lives were changed. See, folks, I, let me tell you what a New Testament church looks like. A New Testament church is where people are committed to God's Word. People are committed to one another. People are committed to the presence of God. God is working in their lives, and when there's a sense of awe, this sense of, of incredible understanding of who God is, and, and, then, and, and then God begins to meet needs in people's lives because we have this understanding that, you know, what is ours is not mine. What's, what's mine is not mine, it's ours. And then there's this, this whole process of people having this incredible joy because of what God is doing in their life, this incredible gladness and sincerity, this smoothness, all the parts are working together, and people are praising God. And then the thing is, is they're con- consistently, you know, uh, we're seeing new, more people and new people come to Christ on a regular basis. Let me tell you this, the thing that breaks my heart is when we go through a period of time where we don't see people come to Christ. I mean, we need to get on our knees as a staff. I mean, we need to do this maybe more, is get on our knees as a staff and just cry out to God, God, you know, you called us to be these people, to have this joy, to have these things, to, to share together our life. And, and, and the result of that will be that people will see you and have and desire to know who you are, God. That's a picture. That's the snapshot of the early church we see here in Acts 2. Now, I don't know if it's you guys, but when I see that, it excites me because what it says is this, is that there is so much more that God has in store for us. If we'll just allow His Spirit to work in our life, to empower us, 
to live life fully. My prayer is that God would begin to do that in all our lives. That we'll not just be dedicated or committed to coming to church on Sunday mornings. That's just a... That's just one thing. But it, it, it's more than that. It's this whole thing of, of seeking God with all of our heart and allowing Him to work. But folks, you know, unstoppable is, is kind of a big word. But if, if we're committed to God and, and we allow Spirit to work, uh, truthfully, what God will do in this community, in this world, is unstoppable. He changed the world with just a dozen guys committed to Him fully. It doesn't take, take hundreds. It, you know, hundreds of partially committed people won't go a long way. But a dozen, two dozen, or a hundred fully committed people can change not only communities, but whole states and whole worlds. Man, and, and I think we need some of that change. And it might begin here, in this community, in this state, in this United States, and spread throughout the world. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.